everyone. Welcome to the Christian Health Service Corps Iron to Silver podcast. We hope this will be a resource for you. We hope it will be your source for insightful conversations with expert guests in the area of global health, patient safety, and improving quality of care in low and middle income countries. Join me, Greg Seeger, Christian Health Service Corps founder, and Dr. Sarah Pruitt and Dr. Kelly Frazier as we share stories and explore strategies to improve healthcare in low and middle income countries. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to our uh, podcast on maternal health this time around. I'm here with uh, Daniel and Priscilla Cummings. I'm Greg Seeger. For those of you who don't know me, I am the CEO and founder of Christian Health Service Corps. So this is a podcast Christian Health Service Corps does on best practices in global health. And I wanted to introduce Daniel and Priscilla. They've been with us on the field in Angola since 2000, I think with us since 2014, right guys? And then before that, you were with Samaritan's Purse post-residency there. Uh, Daniel's an ER physician and Priscilla is an OBGYN, but I'll let you guys share maybe a little bit about your background, where you went to medical school, where you went to residency, because uh, I know that'll be of interest to some folks here. All right. Yeah. I'm mean, Daniel uh, Cummings, and this is my wife, Priscilla. And uh, my medical background is uh, I went to medical school at University of Rochester, and then for residency in emergency medicine at the Hospital of University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And Priscilla uh, was at the University of Michigan for medical school. And OBGYN residency was at the University of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Hospital. So we both met in Philadelphia during our residency. And it was uh, fun and exciting to meet somebody else who was also interested in uh, serving and working um, internationally. And um, we met other, somebody else uh, while we were on a rotation during residency in another country in Niger who recommended that we look into or consider Angola uh, because uh, of the Portuguese language that Priscilla already spoke. Um, it made it quite a natural thing to consider. And um, we found uh, or we encountered Kalutembe Hospital where we currently serve or will be going back to serve. Uh, we're currently in the States, but um, uh, we were there uh, visiting uh, well, while we were serving at another surgical hospital in the provincial capital of Mubang in, in 2012-13. So um, that's what led us to Kalukembe Hospital. And um, we have uh, an interest in uh, caring and working in hospitals with our more district-style uh, basic services offered, uh, such as surgery, uh, obstetrics, um, general medicine, pediatrics, HIV, TB care. So um, quite a, um, a variety uh, that are at a basic level uh, for uh, a, a typical district hospital style in sub-Saharan Africa. And Daniel's ER trained, but um, at Calukembe, he uh, does a little bit of everything. And he actually even helps in the obstetric department, too, because our volume as a district hospital is so heavy um, and we get such critical patients that we need everybody involved in the care of these women. 
Um, and the other thing that I have the privilege of doing while at Kalukembe is fistula uh, work. And so we have, have a fistula program. I was trained um, in Lubango with the team there at the Surgical Specialty Hospital. Um, and we've been able to expand the fistula services in the country. When we started, there were really only two places in the country that had provided care for these women. Um, and now, and Kalukembe was uh, the third place. So it's a really special uh, 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 work um, and, uh, but our hope is not just to care for these women and treat fistulas and save women's lives when they come in, you know, with all, uh, in a critical condition, but to prevent this from happening. Um, so I'm really glad to be here talking about this because it's something that's close to our hearts and something we see every day. Uh, I yeah, I, I love, I don't know if we've introduced it yet. <laughs> yeah. I love Kalikembe. It's such a unique place, and I got to visit you guys only once there. But I really, it's 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 got a unique history. And can you share a little bit about the history of the hospital before we dive into our primary topic here, which is maternal mortality there in Sub-Saharan Africa? But I I know that some people will be interested in a little bit about where you're serving and what maybe the history of that place is, because I think it's it's just such an amazing old mission station uh, that that uh, you guys have done such an amazing job of really, uh, you know, build, rebuilding some of the infrastructure and some of those things while you're there. But um, give us a little background on Kalukembe. Sure. Uh, Kalukembe was a mission station that was um, started in the late 1800s by a Swiss missionary group Initially, his interest was in rehabilitating ex-slaves, and it was started right on a highway and a main slave trade route um, where we still have mango trees that line the, the roads that would take slaves from the interior and the area of Kalukembe uh, to the port city of Bengala. And there are still documents that you can find that will say uh cargo of origin, Kalukembe, referring to the slaves that came from that area. Uh, then um, in the 1940s, uh, 42, actually, there was this, another Swiss missionary who came, uh, and he settled there with his family, young family at the time, and started uh, medical work. He was trained uh, as a doctor, and he began a mission, uh, uh, a station, that was an initially a health center, then eventually developed into a hospital for that region. Um, and that's how it was started. He also started a Bible school, um, a lab tech school, and a nursing school. Pretty busy guy, uh, this doctor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was his name again? Uh, his name was Adolf Bresche. Okay. And uh, his son also served after him. Jean-Pierre, who, uh, who just only just recently retired from Angola. Um, anyways, they uh, started the, the or they started the medical side of the work um, and have conceded it. There was there was initially there was a lot of work with leprosy patients and then into tuberculosis as well. Um, but it, it's always had uh, surgical services um, as part of its care and inpatient care. They even had um, a section on the mission station to help mothers of malnourished kids to learn uh, better practices for farming and nutritional foods such as soy. So there's been a, um, an interest in holistic care uh, at the mission station, even from the beginning. 
when it was rehabilitating ex-slaves and giving them hands-on practical tools and practical job and life experience. Um, so right now there are still uh, uh, schools, Bible school, lab tech school, and nursing school. Um, it is still about a 200-bed hospital um, with primary focus on inpatient services, but it does have outpatient services and uh, vaccine care and um, tuberculosis as well. So that's kind of a, a quick background for it. Um, our catchment area means that we are the only site for emergency surgical services in a catchment area of about half a million people. And one really neat thing about um, our hospital is that during this, we had a very long civil war um, that only ended in 2001. And there was a good 20 years where our hospital uh, didn't have any physicians because that that time the physicians were all uh, foreign uh, expatriate missionary physicians. And so be- during the Civil War, eventually everybody left. But there were 20 years where this hospital was still open uh, and run by our Angolan colleagues and brothers and sisters, even and even during the middle of the war where the hospital was bombed, um, it was ransacked, but the community uh, of providers there tried to keep it open, and they did. And it's one of the few mission hospitals that's left in the country. So it has a pretty amazing heritage uh, and full of very resilient uh, people. So we, we get to learn a lot from them, too. Yeah, of the about 18 or 20 mission hospitals, we're told, that were open and in service in the 70s around the beginning of the Civil War. Only two were remained uh, open by the end, and Color Campaign is one of them. Wow. That's, uh, it is an impressive history, you guys. I And you guys are the only two expats there at the present time, correct? Yeah. In, in Color Campaign, we're the only, only Westerners. Okay. So we're looking for people to come alongside and join the work there, right? And that's the uh, most well. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's take a look at maybe dive into the topic a little bit that we really came to talk about, which is this idea of maternal mortality and morbidity. Now we know that Sub-Saharan Africa has probably in geographically around the world or the one of the you know probably the worst level of maternal mortality or MMR, maternal mortality ratios, and Angola being amongst the highest uh, that. Now, USAID, Division of Global Health, puts that probably a little bit higher than the statistics that have been reported to World Health Organization. Uh, I, But whatever the numbers, they're extraordinarily high. And maybe you can share a little bit about uh, your take on that and, and specifically uh, your experience with that at the hospital. Um, well, I, yeah, I think the numbers are are. There's a lot of uncertainty because we don't even know what our denominator is. We don't know how many births are happening. And as a district referral hospital, we get uh, all of the most critically ill who have come um, with great delay. So for Angola, the numbers vary somewhere between 200 per hundred thousand to 600 per hundred thousand. Um, and uh, at our hospital specifically, and this doesn't necessarily reflect our municipality, but at our hospital, we actually did a study and published in 2019 um, of the deaths uh, that happened the, 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 the previous year. Um, we had 18 maternal deaths, which has been pretty consistent 
through our throughout our time there. And that is equivalent to over 2,000 per 100,000. So whatever the numbers, we are, with our own experience, even though, you know, it may be a little bit different because we're rural, we're inclined to to go with the higher end number. Um, so there's a... Yeah, the estimates from the USAID put it a bit higher. Uh, that's probably because um, we only have... A- the estimates even for the number of deliveries that are done at health centers is placed around 10% of all births. So majority, is that correct? Oh, in the past, still, still not any good. (laughs) So using those estimates, um, it does seem to be that we, uh, the higher estimates would make most sense um, about the mortality. Fortunately, the country itself doesn't even uh, report what their maternal mortality is. So we're basing these on models and estimates and trying to work from that. But that, that does seem to play into our experience. Our experience is that they often come in in severe extremis, uh, whatever it is the condition, whether it's obstructed labor as the primary cause of things or if it's severe malaria or other infections. And um, our our experience with those deaths, and I mean, we're quite a few that of lives saved too, but uh, with the deaths is to see that, well, how is it that perhaps something can be done in the community before it gets to the hospital? Um, the struggle has been to be working with government partners and others to see that it is not, certainly there are things that perhaps we could help with in optimizing quality care for our patients, but the bigger uh, challenge is to see what can we do to reduce the barriers to uh, patients who are having obstructive labor or complications in their pregnancies to be seeking care and receiving care sooner. Right. You know, the, you know, the UN Sustainable Development Goal 3 uh, is really the health area, and 3.1 is to reduce the global maternal mortality ratio, MMR, to less than 70 maternal deaths per 100,000. Now, the USAID uh, estimates put that at about 610 per 100,000 in Angola. Obviously, you get the worst of the worst, those that were home deliveries that just, you know, that and that waited way too long. So your numbers are probably statistically much higher than even that. Uh, and course, the World Health Organization, I think it puts it at 222 per 100,000 live births. But I think you're right. It's such when you can't really track the number of births, if you don't know your denominator, it's really hard to challenging. But whatever the case is, it's such it, it's such a divergence from that goal, that sustainable development goal of bringing that down within 70 per 100,000 live births. You uh, guys kind of have your work cut out for you there. Uh, but I, I like the idea of, you know, what you're talking about of how do you get into the community, right? Uh, I think the big challenge that's uh, that's we've struggled with in dealing with maternal mortality is that the health system and the have to be functional. And the the providers have to be well-trained in order to deal with obstetric emergencies, and then at the same time, the community level providers have to be trained to be able to identify those uh, potentially, uh, you know, those those women that are likely to have or potentially will have 
complications of pregnancy and childbirth and those that are high risk. Uh, you guys are looking right now at doing a program that will kind of pull all those things together a little bit. And I'm excited about that and, and CHSC's role in, in help coming alongside you and helping you with that and, and the community with that. Tell us a little bit about that program and what you guys are going to be doing. Well, I think, I mean, we're really excited about this too. And like you said, the, the reality and is complicated. The solutions need to be, you know, uh, multifactorial, you know, and we, we yeah. so it's not, it's not just a simple solution. And so when we, uh, for our, our, um, uh, pr uh, program for reducing maternal mortality has sort of three primary focuses, both sides. Um, but, uh, I think the foundational one is community, uh, education and outreach. And so we um, are planning, we already have a, a public health department at the hospital and we're planning to grow that um, and to, um, uh, is, you know, focusing on the communities that have already been affected by maternal mortality to go there um, first to listen and to hear what are the barriers, what were the barriers uh, for these women, for these families to come to our hospital. And then also bring in uh, teams to teach uh, the uh, the community leaders and the families to educate them. Um, so, but, you know, at the community level, we need to first develop those relationships to have a posture of listening um, and of partnership um, and then uh, come in with uh, to educate them. So I'm really excited about that um, community work that we're, we have planned. Um, the other thing that we need to work on uh, is uh, the infrastructure of our hospital to make it a hospital that's more welcoming and more effective in taking care of these women. I think we do a good job, but we can do better. Um, one of the things that we need to do, I think, is you know to improve prenatal care at our hospital with ultrasound uh, evaluations, um, as well as uh, one thing that I think we're really interested in is building a maternal waiting home as part of our hospital infrastructure. Um, you know, that this would allow women who uh, live in more rural areas and would have quite a ways to come to our hospital where they could wait um, their final trimester or if they're at risk for other complications where they could wait within walking distance of the hospital. And that we, we think would be really helpful in reducing the barriers to care to come to our hospital. Um, and then the final and I think sort of uh, uh, um, very essential part is training and capacity building. Uh, because you can talk with the community, you can build infrastructure, but if you have no one to actually care for the patients and care for them well, uh, it's all going to be for naught. And so we are uh, we have a program where we're going to be um, training both uh, nurses and midwives um, in obstetric care, as well as Angolan physicians um, with a partner hospital from Lubango um, doing a rural medicine training program at our hospital, um, where they will have more exposure to um, Nerefor obstetric uh, pathologies, uh, interventions, as well um, as surgical uh, interventions, and, but um, also family, um, whole family care as well, uh, like pediatric work. Um, so we're, we're excited about that. We're, we're, we're working on the, on the curriculum as well. Um, and I think um, there's one thing that we were also really grateful for is the WHO's protocols that uh, we're going to be using as foundational um, for both our um, uh, both our physician trainees as well as the um, the outreach that we'll be having with our government uh, clinics and hospitals and other private hospitals. 
So we hope that we, you know, that this education won't just be at our hospital with our clinicians, but will have an impact for our entire community. Sure. sure. The, uh, that idea of, you know, kind of multifactorial solutions is something that WHO is really good at in their program designing of that uh, integrated pregnancy of uh, integrated management of pregnancy and childbirth is one such program. And I know you guys are going to be pulling a lot of the protocols and a lot of the education materials out of there. Can you speak into that a little bit uh, in what you found in there? Have you, uh, in maybe you can just share a little bit about that program so that people understand at least what it is. Well, I mean, uh, one of the things that we've noticed is a, is a big challenge um, for, uh, for our clinicians um, as well as for the, the, the providers around our entire province is that there really is very uh, n- not, um, there's not much information uh, for what is standard of care and what is evidence-based practice. Um, and that's something that part of the problem is that there's not enough literature, there's not enough education. Um, and so um, one of the, what we have done in prior uh, you know, little conferences that we've done um, and continuing medical education classes that we've done for both our clinicians and the communities is that we've published in part um, the guide, some guidelines um, that the, uh, on you know, managing obstetric complications or healthy um, pregnancy in that the WHO has in Portuguese. Unfortunately, they don't have everything in Portuguese yet, so we need to work on that. But um, And uh, given some of that, um, of what is standard of care, what is evidence-based practice, and provided that as information for, our, for us, um, uh, for our team, um, as well as for our colleagues. And it, was, it did bring, I think, there was some, it was a good point of discussion, um, but it was also just people were really excited to have that information and to know, you know, how to manage, how to use oxytocin, how not to use oxytocin and misoprostol and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, what are the signs of preeclampsia and eclampsia and what do you do with that, you know? Um, so uh, we've seen these resources as uh, uh, as helpful uh, and we look forward to growing that um, as we as we build this program. Are they available in Portuguese or are you going to have to do some of the translation on those? I think some of them are, correct? Or? Some of them are. The entire books are not. Um, but there, there are a few protocols and sort of the, um, the uh, uh, sort of compressed versions that the USAID has translated, the summaries that the USAID uh, has translated from the WHO. So the WHO doesn't actually have anything in Portuguese that I found. Uh, I can be corrected. And please, if anybody out there knows where I could get them, you let me know. Um, but there are a few summaries that, the, that we have in Portuguese, which we've provided. Um, you know, there are there are in, por- in in Spanish, but it's just enough where uh, our multilingual neighbors um, who are incredible, st- I just don't like, uh, it's, a, it's just a little bit more difficult to read it in, in, in Spanish, even though it's essentially the same thing. So um, Portuguese would just make it a little bit easier. Sure. But I think even more, you know, the text is one thing, but another thing is really in-person dialogue. And I think that that uh, that those courses and, and um, uh, will make will make that stick uh, more, and so um, I think that will be important. Yeah, working through case by case with yeah. uh, with our uh, nurses as well as um, 
trainees, it, it's, um, it makes it always, always more helpful and helps it sink in. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for sharing a little bit about your work and what you're uh, planning to do as soon as you get back. You've been uh, home now for a bit of a time. It's been, what, about 18 months or so or two? Yeah. Yeah. So I know you're excited to get back uh, and uh, we're excited to have you back there. So thanks again for uh, sharing and I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Hey everyone, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Christian Health Service Corps Iron to Silver podcast. You know, Christian Health Service Corps, we are passionate about bringing quality health care to the world's poorest places. If you share our passion, we'd love to hear from you. Our website is www.healthservicecorps.org. Thank you again for joining us this week. Thank you.